Money Mitch here, Mitch Michaels, and it's time for another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Great show plans for you today as I pick my limp body up off the floor and recap the Chicago Cubs being the Cleveland Indians in the World Series, four games to three. We're going to recap game six and seven with Brett Danzer and Brian Nelson, as well as talk to Joe Crisali of the NFL Network about more NFL action, week eight in the books, on to week nine. Big NFL trade, Jamie Collins going to the Browns, Derek Carr looking amazing, much more to discuss there. We're going to roll, it's Friday, feeling good, better than I did on Wednesday. Money Mitch Effect starts right now. All right, now it's time to recap the World Series on the Money Mitch Effect. I'm still struggling after a uh, disappointing outcome, but got some guys here willing to uh, take one for the team and get me back to feeling good. Brian Nelson, Brett Danzer, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you, Mitch. Oh, it's all right now. You can wait till we get into it to actually say anything. Um, game six and seven. So the Indians were the last time we came on air to discuss going back to game six and seven in Cleveland, up 3-2. The Cubs got the job done winning 9-3 uh, to three in Game 6 and 8-7 to seven in Game 7 in extra innings to win the World Series. Brian, I'll start with you. From the Cubs' perspective, being down 3-1, having not won the World Series in 108 years, what they did historically, I don't know that you can even compare to anything, how they won their first title in over 108 years. Uh, you just got to give them props for what they were able to do, winning two on the road, Game 6 and 7. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mitch. The thing about the Cubs, I feel like, is that they never seem to be too panicked about the situation. Um, they did win 103 games this year for a reason, and part of that is uh, they do have a good, great pitching staff, and they have timely hitting, and that showed up in game game six and seven on the road. Uh, hostile territory, although game seven didn't look too hostile from the Cubs' perspective. Yeah, I think uh, obviously a huge, huge win for the Cubs and a big moment for for baseball. Yeah, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around how they were able to come back. And Brett Danzer, I'll let you dive right into this as well. They couldn't hit at all in the first four games of the series. Down one nothing in the fifth inning of uh, game five. Chris Bryant hits that home run, and it was like a switch got flipped similar to how they came back against the Dodgers. Um, when this team wakes up, they're scary. The Indians, it felt like, especially as a fan, they missed their chance to put them away in Game 5, and you can't keep uh, a sleeping giant down for too long. Absolutely. You know, they say hitting is contagious, and uh, all it took was a couple moves here and there and, and open up the floodgates a little bit. But Joe Madden definitely, definitely gave a few opportunities to the Indians to take advantage, and they, they didn't. You know, there's a... A lot of talk after game six about how he brought uh, Robles Chapman in for 40 some odd pitches and then, you know, or no, that was 40 pitches before that and then another, didn't even need to bring him in in game six and then he was clearly overworked in game seven but somehow got by throwing nothing but sliders uh, after giving up the big home run to Rajay Davis which was unbelievable in itself but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, condolences. That is a one of the most excruciating, <laughs> painful losses you'll ever see in any sport. Yeah. And as a Red Sox fan, I can feel you. I, I feel you. It's, uh, it's a magical run. You know, you guys were so close. And just, you had to like your chances even in Game 7. You had Kluber, who was a Klubot the whole way, just dominating the postseason. You had Andrew Miller, fresh, ready to go. And that bullpen, which was playing great too. I mean, it was you had to like your chances going into Game Seven. But as they say, get it to Game Seven, anything can happen after that. And I think that's what happened. Um, you know, first I think the big thing was like yourself, probably in 2003 as a Red Sox fan. I had that moment when the game ended where I just sat on my couch, like, what just happened? We were so close to. I know that wasn't the World Series, but you would have liked your chances against the Marlins if you would have beaten the Yankees. Absolutely, that year. I had to get away. Uh, yeah, you just you just kind of got to zone out a little bit. Um, but look, going in, I had my reservations about finishing it off in five or six with the pitching matchups. When it went back to six, Arietta, who had won in Cleveland already in the series against 
you know, Bauer, who, uh, or Tomlin, I should say, who wasn't really pitching that strong uh, most of the season. Uh, that first inning, I mean, they, he gives up, he, he hangs one to Bryant, who hits another home run. And then Naquin in the outfield. There's two people, there's two decisions that I think Terry Francona, who did a great job all postseason managing, I think his two biggest mess-ups were the faith he had in Mike Napoli, which was ridiculous. I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but his average was or in the 100 range for the series. But Naquin over Davis in game six, and him and Chisnall let that fly ball fall in between them. It should have been one nothing after one. It was three. Arietta with a three-run lead. I'm not saying we would have won that game, but you never know, Nelly, what would have happened if it's if that ball doesn't fall down and it's only a one-run game after one inning. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think at that point Chicago was they they were they were ready to take over that series coming back game six. I mean, yeah, I mean they looked like yeah. a different team. Yeah. I mean. You know, they the bat their bats came alive while while Cleveland's went quiet. I mean, what happened to uh, Lindor in that series? I mean, I think he went over eight in, his, in the last two. He did. Um, still hit, you know, shade under three hundred, but didn't hit in the last two games. You know, game seven because game game six was the Cubs were the more dominant team, and Chapman coming in did almost screw them in the entire series. But game seven was the game. You know, Fowler hits that leadoff home run, and it showed me that Kluber and then Miller, when he gives up a home run to Ross, they're their tired bands, or they don't have that energy. I mean, they're just human beings, for Christ's sake. Like, they can't come on short rest and pitch all the time. The bad sign, I know it was just one run, but Fowler getting that leadoff home run was like, okay, we're here, we're breaking through, this guy's human, we're going to take advantage of it. Absolutely. It, it set the pace, it, it, it got them a little looser, if you can be loose for a Game 7, but... Uh... You know, it was just a battle throughout. I mean, you gotta you gotta tip your cap to the Indians for making that comeback. I mean, I thought it was over and done with that five to one, and then uh, you know the, the odd pitching move of taking out Kyle Hendricks after four and two thirds after you you know you had a two out walk, you pull him immediately and bring in Lester who can't hold anybody on base. He throws a wild pitch and two run score after an error, and then you got yourself a ball game. It's it's you know I think it was five three at that point, and then. Of all people, you know, you get a, a solo home run to center field, uh, you know, off of Andrew Miller. Uh, <laughs> David Ross. By David Ross, and who would have predicted that in his final game? Um, and then and then you're like, okay, now the Cubs got him. Now it's now it's and then well the Chapman being overused, the poor guy's thrown hundred pitches or ninety two pitches in three games or three days or whatever it might have been. And uh, you know, you just kinda tip your cap to him. It wasn't their year, it was magical year and you know Naquin he was a he's a rookie rookies make mistakes and you know they some might say they overachieved to even get there but I think they you know once they get Carrasco back and Salazar back and everything they got a nice nucleus of a team to, to, to build on for the future for sure absolutely uh, talking with Brian Nelson Brett Danzer on the money Mitch effect and the Ross thing was interesting too with that home run obviously he went out maybe the greatest last game, the greatest way to go out that I can think of in baseball or sports history, especially after the past ball, I guess it was a wild pitch, but hit him in the mask, looked like he almost had a concussion, stumbling out of home plate, the two-run score, and then he gets one of them back against the most dominant pitcher in the postseason this year. I thought it was, uh, and Quicklin, I thought Ross and, and Perez, they might have been playing game sevens with concussions, I don't know. Perez got rocked by Zobris in game six, and I don't know that he ever got back to normal after that. But, look, Madden made a lot of mistakes, I thought, in Game 7. The squeeze with Baez at the end when, when you had that situation at a full count, the, the safety or suicide squeeze, however you want to distinguish it there. But I will go to my grave, Nelly, thinking that the Indians' one chance to win the World Series came in the bottom of the ninth inning of Game 7 when, for reasons I can't figure out, Chapman... Came back onto the mound, tired, having giving up runs, throwing sliders. One, two, three hitters up, and they couldn't get anything going. With two, three, four coming up in the 10th for Chicago, I knew that was it. Yeah, that was, as you said, kind of one of many times uh, both managers kind of tried to manage their ways way out of this uh, game. I, I feel like Kluber was probably in the game too long. I think Chapman... Seemingly was in the game too long, but it proved that he still had a few more outs in him. But uh, you know, I, I've said it the, the I've said it all along that Chapman does a lot better coming in with with nobody on base, 
and that changes a lot, you know. But uh, and you can say the same about Lester. They brought him in with a runner on. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was yeah. The move to bring Lester well. in, I feel like he came in too early, and I feel like they they pulled Kluber too late. I think yeah. Kluber, it was clear he didn't have it. Top of the fifth, yeah. Uh, I read a stat somewhere that said that uh, Chapman only pitched two games or four, maybe four games all year over one inning, and four games just in the World Series over over an inning. I didn't mind it in the fifth game because you need that game and he's your guy and you have a day off the next day. But the sixth with Chapman was kind of ridiculous. And Danzer to get back to Francona, he he's a guy that likes to use all his options, play to win. Obviously, it did hurt him a little. I thought. They pull out Chris, they go to Martinez, and he's the guy at bat with the game on the line, the worst hitter, no offense, but probably the worst hitter on the team. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, you understand a little bit why you do it, you know, for, for defensive purposes, with the bases loaded, one out, you need a, you know, if a ball's hit to the outfield, it's, it's the winning run right there. But the way Coco's been in the postseason, he's just been on fire on another, on another level. He's just a solid veteran, really focused, you know, every, putting good at bats, Every time he's up, uh, you just hate to see it all come down to, to Michael Martinez. Michael Martinez is it? Yeah. Michael Martinez with the with the season on the line, down by one. It's just uh, you know you didn't, it's not really the way you you want to go out. But um, you know they they made a valiant effort even in that ninth inning. You know get the two straight outs and then you know you know Rajay Davis comes through with another RBI single. Uh, Improbable. I just thought it was destiny when he hit that home run his first since August 30th off of Aroldis Chapman. Um, but, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Um, that's my lasting, you know, my lasting memory on that. And I, it was a great run. You know, I thought we had a real chance. It would have gone down in history, one for the ages. It still does. Um, but, you know, the Cubs were just a tad bit better. They came up when they needed to. And the Indians weren't able to get enough hits. They didn't take advantage of how good their pitchers were early enough, and it came up to bite them, the stamina. I mean, there's a reason why games, there's a reason why they do the schedule the way they do in baseball, where it's every day, because you can't have pitchers coming in dominating. Uh, but ultimately, the Cubs prevailed. Talking with Brian Nelson and Brett Danzer on the Money Mitch effect, and Nelly, let's talk about the Cubs for a second here. The in-game decision-making by Madden notwithstanding, I thought the key to the game, the play of the game, really, was the base running decision by Coglin to tag on a play from first to second. And as a baseball purist, deep fly ball by, by I think it was Bryant, warning track. Right. He pitch runs for Schwarber. Instead of going halfway, he decides he's going to tag, get to second with one out. I mean, they teach that a specific way, but to execute it on the biggest stage of them all, I thought was very, very well done. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's pretty rare to see a guy tag on a fly ball from first, you know, run from first base, but I think that right off the bat, he, he thought, well, either this is getting out of the park or I'm going to tag up, uh, which was heads up for him. I mean, if it somehow drops in the drops in there, he's still going to make it second before they can get a throw, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's definitely one of the plays of the game, um, along with some timely rain. <laughs> I'm not going to say rain was the reason why the Indians lost. It did hurt us having to put Shaw back out there after a 10-minute rain delay, which, again, is both of these managers had very little faith in a lot of their bullpen. <laughs> so I think they were hindered by that as well. I think you had to go with the, the guys that you had confidence in. Well, yeah, and you hear everybody talking about the, uh, the players-only meeting that Hayward had with, with, with the Cubs that seemed to motivate... Uh, the squad it was probably out like forget away. what hey, forget what our manager's doing, just play. Yeah, <laughs> it's good I to thought. see that he's at least uh, contributing in some way because he sure <laughs> wasn't hitting. But that um, defense will get you 184 million dollars. Yeah, apparently, nowadays. apparently. I mean, it's just so funny. You can analyze every little thing. I mean, even Rajay Davis uh, on that fly ball to center that scored scored the uh, I forget who scored the run, but Brian on that tag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Base you running. know, he caught him kind of flat-footed. You know, you're in baseball. You're taught to. You know, on a play like that to catch it going forward and get as much as you can on that throw, and he kind of caught it flat-footed, and the throw came in high, and it was a good slide. I mean, it was, you know, these these games that are, you know, you play all season long, and it comes down to these tiny little moves here and there. It's 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 painful, but that's why we love the game. Yeah, and I don't blame the decision making to walk Rizzo in that situation. One out, guy on second. You probably have a feeling that a run here might be doomed for you. 
you put a guy that's been hitting the cover off the ball on first, get a force, and makes Obris make a play, and he did. I did think it was a little interesting that he won the MVP, but, I mean, he made the play in the final inning. It was, I always thought Nelly going into game six, it was unpredictable who would get the award. There was still a lot to decide. So I don't have a big problem with him being our ultimate World Series MVP. Yeah, it's funny. When I was watching the game, the guy, the guy I was watching, it with, we were actually discussing who we thought would be MVP, and we couldn't really come up with anybody. So when, the, when Zobrist is named, it's it's like... Well, you know, I guess he's as good as any of them. I think what interesting one, I don't know that he played to be an MVP, but I think one of the MVP candidates, a guy that could have been in consideration was Schwarber, given that I think the Cubs won three games with Schwarber in the lineup and only one with him not. Yeah. Uh, and and it not, maybe not even in so far as the, 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 the offensive output, but just... Him being in that lineup changes how you're gonna you're gonna attack that that batting order. So yeah, yeah, I think Zobris was was as good a pick as any. But they had a lot. There's a lot of options you had. I mean, even Fowler in Game Seven might have been their best top to bottom player. Just the tone he set and how he kept hitting throughout the game. Bryant was up there. It, it's tough. I mean, there was no runaway favorite. If Cleveland would have won, it was going to be Kluber or or Miller in the pen. I don't know. I mean, it was it would have been tough regardless, but the Cubs do it. Danzer, 108 years, history reversed. We weren't none of us were around, knowing that we know was around. It's hard to really put this into perspective, but this is a proud franchise, a lot of loyal fans, and finally the burden's gone. As someone that rooted for a team that had this happen, I mean, it, it can't be the same ever again rooting for this team. It's going to be a different franchise. Absolutely, and you're going to get spoiled. You're- you know, it could be the beginning of a dynasty for them. They've definitely, Theo Epstein, what he's what he's done oh. in five years is is unbelievable. I mean, the guy's going to go down as the best, you know, GM president of all time. I mean, it, it just Hall of Fame credentials immediately. You know, ending two mega droughts. I mean, that's two curses are gone now because of that. No more talk of Babe Ruth. No more talk of Billy Goats or Steve Bartman or any of that stuff. What he's done is just unbelievable, and they're definitely built for the future. I mean, I heard on the radio today that he acquired 23 of the current players on the team in his in his five years. I mean, it's not he didn't inherit a whole lot when he got there, so he's right. he's built this team on his own. And you know, they had five million people at the parade today. I mean, that's insane. I mean, that is literally insane. So, um, you know, it's just a remarkable job by him, and um, they they appear to be built for the future. I mean, they best record all year long, and it doesn't look like they're going to get any worse. Yeah, and we could talk for days about how in baseball there's the salary cap isn't an issue. You have to have an ownership willing to pay. But Theo, biggest thing he did, in my opinion, getting rid of all those terrible contracts that were on the books when he got there, Alfonso Soriano comes to mind. Uh, But he does that. He acquires all those players. He drafted well. He acquired well. I mean, Anthony Rizzo, they get him. I mean, that's another... Drafting Schwarber high, a guy that they wouldn't trade for Andrew Miller for situations like this, he's remarkable, and he will go down as a Hall of Famer. Madden finally has his ring. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good storylines in Chicago. It pains me to admit it, but it's good for the game. Now it's good for the game to see a Cubs team win their World Series. No more talk of being the lovable loser. They're World Series champs. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, 103 wins regular season, so they were the best team, and um, yeah, it, as a baseball fan, it, it uh, I don't have much love for the Cubs uh, necessarily, and, and I actually kind of appreciated a world where they don't win, so it's over now, now. now they don't have any excuses, you know, they can uh, they can be in there and talk about uh, next year and not have to bring up, you know, a hundred year history. So is that the greatest game, guys? Is that the greatest baseball game you've seen? Definitely, I think it is. I game mean, seven. It's, it, it had it had everything you could want. I mean, it had drama and it stuff had, you didn't want, like right yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was like I said, excruciating. If you were like, if I was a Red Sox fan and that was a Red Sox game I was watching, I wouldn't be able to watch. It's tough. I'd have to go for a walk. I'd have to, you know, maybe maybe you know, take my dog for a walk or go for a drive or even buy a pack of cigarettes. You know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to sit through that it's it's you know such a painful you know ups and downs left and right Every, everywhere you looked it was you know changing and your heart must have been 
pumping out of your chest watching that. I mean, it was insane. It, yeah, before I'll let you answer, Nelly, but I'll just respond to that. It was like that. Not nearly as bad as it would be for a Cubs fan. I say that because we were down early. So it's almost like I just assumed it'd be a parade. You know, not that that's any good either, but a parade to the finish line. But when Davis hit that home run, that was an all-time baseball moment for me. And that's what dragged, that's what made the loss hurt even more. They brought us back into the game, and then the Cubs, to their credit, you know, put it away. But now yeah, the greatest yeah. game ever? I, I Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the... Definitely in the mix. I mean, you know, the Davis home run is is kind of like that moment, eighth inning, Ross Chapman out there to close it up. It seemed like, this okay, this is it. This one's done. And, you know, they had another idea, but they just yeah. innings came up short. They did. Um, it stings, but hopefully the team's young. The Indians could be back. I trust Francona. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, and then I'll let you guys go. We'll wrap this up. Yankee fan, Red Sox fan, Nelly and Danza respectively. How are you feeling about next year? Starting with you, Nelly, and your Yankees. I feel good about next year. Um, yeah. I feel like we finished the year strong. We were in the, we were right there in the hunt for that last wild card spot, despite the fact that we traded off uh, two pitchers featured predominantly in the World Series. Um, I think we got a lot of young guys coming up, talented uh, hitters. Our pitching, you know, could could use some tune-up, but uh, it should be a good year to be a Yankee fan, as it usually is. Maybe back for the postseason, I don't know. But you talk about not having a lot of love for uh, the Cubs. I, I feel like most of the world would share that same sentiment about the Yankees, but we'll Yeah, see. And, and that's the thing. Welcome, Cubs, <laughs> to, uh, you know, a team with a win so not everyone can hate you. <laughs> Welcome to irrational hate. That's actually true. Red Sox can relate to that. Now you have the Irrational Hate Club and a uh, new member. Yeah, as a segue to that, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with uh, <laughs> the outlook on the Yankees' uh, upcoming season. No, I, you know, I feel I feel pretty good about the Red Sox season next year. I mean, we lost Big Poppy mm. to retirement, but I, there's something in my gut that tells me he's not done. I don't know why. Wow. I really don't. I don't know. If you know anything, we could break that here. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the only person who feels that way. There's several writers who get the same kind of vibe. But, uh, you know, they're going to have to replace him. That's going to be no small feat. But they'll, they'll empty the pockets. And, uh, you know, it's a disappointing way to lose to the Indians in that short first round. They're giving up the likes of uh, Roberto Perez, Lonnie Chisenhall, and Chris. <laughs> a little bitter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they you know, still got David Price and Rick Porcello and some young studs coming up. And, uh, you know, they've got a pretty young team that got a little... Uh, little taste of postseason play, so I'm kind of optimistic right. about next year for sure. Talent needs to just show up in the playoffs, but yeah. it's there. Uh, and then here, and these are the two teams, we can throw the Cubs in there. They're <coughs> going to be fighting for all the high-priced free agents for the years to come, so uh, it should be good. But thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Uh, I feel cheered up. I think this is therapeutic. This is good. Well, I'll be ready for next start of next baseball chin, season. Chin up, Mitch. <laughs> I, I did see Rick Vaughn though at the game. That was the, the highlight. The wild thing was there. So, all right, guys, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Big thanks to Brian Nelson and Brett Danzer for helping get me through an emotional Game Seven loss. The Cleveland Indians had at the hands of the Chicago Cubs, but uh, they're good guys. They know baseball. And uh, if this podcast is going on into the spring, which I do predict that it will, they'll be back on. And you never know. They might be back on to talk other sports. That's the beauty of podcasting and uh, being a, a sports nerd like myself. All right, now moving on to the NFL. Joe Crisali works the NFL Network, former co-worker of mine. We're going to talk about all the NFL storylines. We're at the near halfway point of the season now. No looking back. We got to keep going forward. Joker Sally on the Money Mitch Effect to talk pro football. Here it is. All right, so now joining the Money Mitch Effect, first time guest on the show, Joker Sally. Joe. What up? Thanks for coming on the show. It's NFL Talk now. I need to move on from baseball season. It's left me a broken, bitter man. So, me too. 
Yeah, but we're going to go to football. Football is in the heart of things. Nine weeks, hard to believe we're, we're at that point right now. Last week, unbelievable action. Week 8, Dallas Cowboys. Philadelphia Eagles with a primetime game with the Cowboys winning again. They're 6-1 and one now, Joe. They've gotten to that point in the season, 29-23 overtime victory over the Philadelphia Eagles, who fall to 4-3. and three. For a lot of people like myself who didn't get a chance to see this whole game with the baseball going on, what's the one takeaway you have, Joe, from this Cowboys team that, again, wins a close game over a competitive football team with a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back? I mean, one takeaway from the Cowboys is expect anything from them. They can beat any team at any time. I mean, the Eagles have been really good this year. They have a new revamped defense. But one takeaway from the game in itself is Dak versus Wentz is going to be great to watch for years mm-hmm. to come. I mean, I've heard relations to Brady Manning. I don't know if I would go that far, but I might go that far because yeah. watching that game was just insane. For Dak Prescott, we talk about him a lot because at this point now, Jerry Jones would be an idiot to take him out of the starting lineup with how good the team's been playing. But I'll say this, Dak Prescott showed me something different in this game. It was resiliency. Everything wasn't all, all gravy for him in this one. Yeah, he had he started, a lot of good games. He started off pretty yeah, bad. Yeah. Against a good defense, like you said, a revamped defense that was out to get him. And he's at a point in his career, definitely in this season, where he's not surprising anybody anymore. He's not sneaking up on anyone, and that showed me that, okay, the chips are down. You're down 10 in the fourth quarter. He still was able to get the comeback and lead a textbook drive to win the game. They relied on Elliott, and Jason Garrett was aggressive, went for it on fourth down. Yeah. Great and play. I'm, would, I'm liking this Cowboys team. The NFC's wide open. Why can't it be their year? You would expect on that play, Dan Bailey's in field goal range. Why not just kick it and give him the ball back? But he was like, nah, screw that. Fourth and one, we're going for it. We got Dak, Zeke. And they got the first down. But this team, they're old school football. They run it down your throats, and the quarterback makes the right decisions, and he makes the right throws. I'm really impressed with his ability to spread the rock around. Uh, the weapons seem to be accepting that. Witten makes his, the touchdown catch at the end. Dez has his moments, but isn't demanding the ball every time. Yeah. They're working in Beasley and Williams. Defensively, though, I mean, we talk about this a lot. This is a 6 1 team, right now, the best team in the NFC. Rod Marinelli with that defense that doesn't have a lot of big-name players. Each week, they get better, and they get better in key moments in the fourth quarter at the goal line. This is the one thing that I think if the Cowboys, Joe, don't make the playoffs, I think that's going to be what costs, or don't make the, the Super Bowl, I should say. That's going to be what costs them. But it's hard for me to find a flaw in this defense right now, given how hard they're playing. I mean, if you think about it, they held what? They held the Packers to 16 points two weeks ago in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, granted, he doesn't have all his weapons on offense, but still, the Bengals held him to 14 points the week week before that. But the defense is doing what it needs to do. They're batting balls out of the air. Their corners are playing really well. Byron Jones has made the good transition from corner to safety. He's playing really well, so go UConn. Yeah, that's your your Husky (laughs) reference. We had to get that in there for our quota for the uh, month. But, no, I I agree. I think... Look, the NFC is down. Carolina's down. Seattle doesn't look as good. Arizona, obviously. Why can't it be Dallas this year? I, I think they have a system that works. It's old school football. Ezekiel Elliott's already probably the best running back or 1A, 1B. This team's scary. And on the flip side, look, I, was, I wasn't high on the Eagles early because they took advantage of the schedule. This was a good loss against a good team, if there is such a thing in the NFL. They're 4-3. and three. Wentz looks really good. The schedule's picking up here. This is going to be tough. They're 4-3. and three. They have probably the hardest schedule of any team in that division, maybe in all of football. They got their work cut out for them. I like the progress, but I just don't quite think they're there yet. I mean, yeah, you're right. They started out against Cleveland, Chicago. That's a good two to start. But then oh, when yeah. they went to Detroit, they had that game wrapped up, and Ryan Matthews fumbled the ball away, and they lost. And then they lost again to Washington. Now, beating Minnesota, Minnesota's kind of on a, their downfall. But... Like you said, the schedule just gets insane for them. They got to play at New York. They got to play the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Packers. I mean, it's going to be tough for them. And a lot of these games that they're playing are on the road, so there's there's not a lot of room for error for them. Certainly, is going to be fun to watch in the NFC East. Well, sticking in the NFC, I think the game of the week, competitively wise and uh, just entertaining wise, was that Atlanta-Green Bay game last week. Atlanta beating the Packers 33-32 at home. Falcons now 5-3. Packers drop to 4-3. and three. 
This was a nail biter, a lot of lead changes. Let's start with the good Joe Atlanta. Another big win that they probably weren't expected to have. They were five and three, but a battle-tested five and three. I think that's the big key there. Be buying what Atlanta can do. Let's start with the offensive side. Be buying what they can do against any team in this conference. I mean, Atlanta, I'm buying what they're selling for sure oh, yeah. on offense. They got, I mean, when Tevin Coleman comes back, they'll have the duo running backs with Devontae Freeman. Julio Jones, arguably the best, if not even arguably the best wide receiver in the league. He can do two. it all. Yeah. Matt Ryan has been playing out of his mind this year. Um, the only question really is, are they going to be able to keep it up? We've seen these Falcons teams in previous years. They start off really hot. Now, granted, we are eight weeks in, but maybe we see another regression just further on. Yeah, but the schedule is way harder than it was last year. Last year, I think we all knew it was fool's gold. by The teams they were playing, now they were escaping by the skin of their teeth with some of these wins. Look at who they've beaten, like, look at who they've beaten this year. I mean, they've put it up against the best teams. Probably should be or could be 6-2. and two Yeah, that's Seattle game. Call, yeah. It's called on them on Richard Sherman, but they're right there. I worry defensively. This team isn't great defensively. They're good enough, but you wonder. The Packers were close to winning this game. A couple teams have been right there with them. I don't know. I would love to see them play against a Dallas team because that's, you know, contrast in styles. How would they match up against Dallas? How could Dallas stop them? That could be a shootout right there. I mean, Atlanta's defense, they're just, they're just a young defense. They got Vic Beasley. We saw what he can do when they play Denver. He was just all over Paxton Lynch. And granted, it was Paxton Lynch, and it was one of his it was his first start for the Broncos. But they also have Keanu Neal, who free safety over the top is comparison to Cam Chancellor. So once they figure it out on defense, which they kind of have a little bit, they've been holding other opponents to decent amount of points, but um, they're more of an offensive team, but I mean, hopefully for them it doesn't have to come down to a defensive stop or a defensive play. So I want to talk about the Packers a little bit here on the other side of this, and I think every year it gets overblown about their offense and Aaron Rodgers in particular. There are issues with that team at times on the offensive side of the ball, but Joe, I think they lost this game because of defense, and I don't think there's any other way. You score 32 points on the road, you should win that game. The defense just let them down. I don't know how you feel on this particular issue. I would like to see more of a running game balance, but they're going to ride their strengths, and, and we know their strength is the passing game. That is funny because they have all they have is a passing attack on offense, and on defense, all they have is rush defense. They can't cover anyone. Any like every every top and, receiver, and I think it's any personnel. I, they don't have. I mean, Lacey's out for the year now. You don't have that running back anymore. And on the defensive end, they don't have the corners that can guard these receivers. I mean, they have to get pressure. In a way, you know when you play Green Bay, right? Like, if you pick up the blitz, you're golden. Exactly. They are definitely capable of doing some damage, especially in a wide-open conference. But they're not, you know, the front runners that they've been or that we've anointed them to be. There's some holes on this team personnel-wise, and I think Rodgers is doing all he can to hide a lot of them. Packers fans... They look at this team and they think of the team that beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl. James Starks was the, the guy in the playoffs for them that year. He mm-hmm. just was out of this world. So if they can get that type of production out of players like James Starks when he comes back from his knee surgery, then right. maybe they'll be okay. You never know. They do have Aaron Rodgers. And I understand that anytime you have Aaron Rodgers, you're in it. You have a chance to be anybody. But Packer fans and fans of football in general should pump the brakes and not just assume that just because they have Aaron Rodgers or anybody in the NFL, that they're automatically the class of the NFC. they got a lot of work to do. I like the offense. I like the passing game. That's fine. Rodgers will be good when it matters. Defensively, like you said, that's secondary. Awful. They're, and they're going to have to... Demarius Randall's your number one corner, or who? Ha-ha, Clinton Dix. They're, they're the both. best teams right now. Dallas and Atlanta? Could be. How are you stopping them in the air? Are you, <laughs> that's, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's all they do. So they got their work cut out for them, but I think it was an interesting start to the competitive side of the season. Now, about halfway through, and we saw our first taste of two good teams playing each other. I would not mind seeing that matchup in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. and I mean, I, it looks like it's going to be Atlanta based on this tiebreaker and how the, the South's looking. That would like be trash, a, basically. Yeah, like trash. <laughs> Atlanta could coast now almost. But yeah. no, they're, they're going to be tough talking with Joe Crisali on the Money Mitch effect. All right, one game last week. This might have been my personal favorite game to just follow. Didn't get to see a lot of it live. 
But Raiders Bucks, Joe. Raiders win 30 to 24. They win a game in which they had a quarterback throw for over 500 yards and set the penalty record in the same yeah. game. I mean, this Raider team is fun. If they're if they're nothing else, they're exciting. Yeah. And now five and zero on the road. That stat just jumps out at me. This Raiders team for real. Talk about ups and downs, right? That game you're playing the Buccaneers of all teams that you should beat easily. If you're the Raiders, what are they? They were five and two going into that game. They should have handed them a loss easily. The fact that it even went into overtime and it took them that last play on fourth down, fourth and four, that forty-one yard touchdown catch to Holmes. Yeah. It shouldn't have even gotten that far, but if you, like you said, they set the penalty record, so That's there's ridiculous. obviously a lot of things that they have to clean up <laughs> as they go in and they face the Broncos, but this team is just in, insane. The well, way that they just find ways to win games. I mean, you know that a team like the Broncos or a team like the Patriots or the Steelers will make you pay if you take that many penalties against them. Um, that said, I like the Raiders, how exciting they are. I like the fact that they don't care when they're down. Del Rio stays aggressive. You know, he doesn't just sit on a lead and car. I mean, that guy is Same. unbelievable. He physically makes me cry because I wanted him on the Browns when we didn't get him. <laughs> and, you know. He ended up with Johnny Manziel instead. Jeez. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll move on from that. But 500 yards, 513 yards through the air, 40 for 59, four touchdowns. The guy is just phenomenal. And, look, I, we talk, we can nitpick about them not really having a running game similar to how Green Bay is. But any, at the end of the day, when you have a quarterback like him, it's a scary matchup. Defensively is what's keeping me from saying that they're for real. Which is crazy because they went out and they signed a bunch of defensive players. They got Bruce Irvin, and you thought he was going to come in and anchor that defense. Khalil Mack hasn't shown up yet. What's going to happen if he yeah. shows up, if he does at all? Well, but, the first two weeks of the season when they gave up 1,000 yards combined, and that set the tone straight. This defense is a work in progress. And they've gotten better, but they're not at that level yet. And Tampa Bay is a team that's young, has some upside, not consistent enough. They didn't make them pay for those penalty mistakes, but give credit to that team. I mean, Oakland came out there. They they got the job done. They went on the road. They're not afraid to play away from home. They're probably not going to be playing many games in Oakland in the future regardless. You know, there it is. I mean, they're an Oakland team that's in the discussion. We could have three teams, playoff teams, from the AFC West. I think that's very possible this year. It's possible. They're arguably, the, behind the Patriots, those are the three best teams in the AFC. South is one You're not even going to look at the South. The, the Texans are, they have a, they're in first place, but they can't. They go and they play the Patriots. They go and they North play the Broncos. They look year, terrible. Yeah, and the North is down this year. Three, and it could be any of those three teams. The Chargers yeah. aren't dead either. They win this week. We'll get to that a little later, but they win this week, four and five. They have an easy cushion in their schedule coming up. It's, yeah, I mean, I don't see the Chargers passing the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Chiefs, but that, like you said, they, they have an easier schedule. They could win some games. So, here's one thing I wanted to throw out there. Derek Carr, I look at the MVP betting odds right now, and he's still not even in the top 10. It's a little outrageous for me. This is a 6-2 team, but the numbers he has. He, Your top three right now, by the way? Well, Brady and Elliott. David Johnson, number three. You can't, I mean, no. you, you can't argue against... David Johnson, what he's done, and you can't argue against Brady. He's coming down in the best season Even of his missing career. Missing four games, yeah. missing four games, he comes in, he's still dominating. But Carr needs to be up there. There's no way this Raiders team is where they are without Derek Carr. There's no way he is that whole team. There's like you, like you said, their running game yeah. is iffy. Latavius Murray has been so-so the whole season. He makes Derek Derek Carr does what Tom Brady does. He makes the players around him better. Holmes, no one know, no one knew who that guy was before. And now now look, he's scoring the game winning touchdowns like every single game. And they got Crabtree whose resurgence resurgence is great for them. And Amari Cooper and Derek Carr, they came in at the same time and now they're they're hooking up. I would be shocked. I think the movement's already started to get him going into the top ten, but still just looking on the outside. I mean, wow. It's a, a pretty big value bet there. Really what you have is you have Brady, you have Elliott, you have Matt Ryan's up there. I don't. I wouldn't David even Johnson, and then hope. I think Carr's right in that next batch right there. I wouldn't even put Elliott up there. No. I, I don't see. I mean, he is having an astonishing season, but Carr's got to be top five at least. I think so. I agree with you on that one. But no, I, I think Carr, what he's been able to do, leading this team by example, uh, I think he's doing a great job. Let's switch now to the AFC. New England Patriots. You mentioned Brady. They continue to roll. They beat the Bills. 
But the big story in my mind, we knew the Patriots were good and they're probably going to be in the AFC championship game. There's, there's no who beats them. Exactly. Honestly. But they made a trade this week. Jamie Callis to the Browns and a third round pick. Conditional. It was a, four, a conditional yeah. fourth round pick that could be a third round pick. But Yeah, you get the idea. One yeah. of those picks that's not meaningless, but not a high value draft pick for a guy that's very good. One that you have to scope out and actually pick. Was this a message? Was this Belichick saying he was getting tired of some habits? Or I'm just struggling to figure out why he made this trade now. This is Belichick just being Belichick. This is what the Patriots do. They they don't care who you are. They don't care what your ideologies are. If you don't come in and do what the Patriots want you to do, if then they're going to get rid of you. That's just how it is. I mean, that's not the Patriot way, but that's what they do. They've gotten rid of a ton of high-quality players over the years, and... Jamie Collins is no different. He apparently he had his own way, and the, and Belichick said you don't want to play my way. Here's right. twenty four snaps in this game, and then we're <laughs> trading you to the Browns. And, the bra- yeah, yeah, that's the cool part is you could have gotten that pick from any team, just about, and you could have made that trade in the offseason. You would have gotten that pick if he signed somewhere, based on you know the NFL structure, so the rules and structure in place. So the timing was sounded to me like it was disciplinarian. And also, this is a 26-year-old guy. This isn't the 32, 33-year-old yeah. washed player maybe a year or two away from being that, that they're trading you know, a hair too early rather than a hair too late. So, look, they're going to be fine. They're New England. The AFC is in shambles in a lot of ways. They're smarter than everybody. Who beats them? There might be a couple teams that could beat them, but I don't see them getting to them until a possible AFC championship game. Exactly. Like, so. Collins means nothing to the Patriots. The first four games of the season, they didn't have Tom Brady, and they still went 3-1. and one. So it's not like he's going to be a game-changer for them not being there. He might be a game-changer for the Browns, although he might not be. Browns hope he, come in, he comes in and, and he is the Pro Bowl player that he is and well, maybe becomes a leader, but I don't, I don't see that. You know, happening. as a Browns fan, one little side note on this. I'm a little worried now because I want Collins. I think it's a great pickup. They need talent on that defense, obviously, giving up 25 points a game all season at least. But there's only one franchise tag, so they got to get a deal done with either him or Terrell Pryor. And that was always in the back of their mind is we have the franchise tag if we can't get a deal done with Pryor. Now you don't have that luxury because you might need it on Collins. Could be tough. I mean, just pay them both. If you're the Browns, <laughs> just pay them. If you're the Browns, what, what else do you have to lose? You're going to lose arguably your best player on offense is Terrell Pryor. you got to pay him. Jamie, say Jamie Collins comes in and he's the greatest player that the Browns have ever seen on defense. Possible. If you have, if you, if you have to pony up for him mm-hmm. and Terrell Pryor, why wouldn't you? You still have a lot of draft picks. I think Collins needs the contract if he plays well. Pryor is a great athlete, the best playmaker they have, but he could be he could look a little better based on the lack of weapons around. Him. That's all I'm saying. Like everybody looks good. You know, he's the sixth grader in a fourth grade gym class. Yeah. Here's a question for you though. <laughs> so I don't know. Here's a question for you though. Is the RG three experiment over in Cleveland? Yeah. I mean, of course. You could have McCown's the perfect stopgap. He could come in, play a few games, he'll probably get injured. <laughs> he always gets injured. But he's not bad so when he's out there. That's the thing. Like, it's not the worst thing as far as backups go or veterans. He does? You find a young quarterback, you groom him. Maybe it is Kessler. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. <laughs> you want to speculate about your Browns quarterback? Yeah, we've already had 23 in the last, you know, however many years. Just bring so. Tim Couch back. You'll be oh, good. Oh, jeez. Kelly Holcomb. All right. <laughs> Talking with Joe Crisali on the Money Mitch Effect, NFL football going into week nine. Is it fair to say, Joe, that this is the year of the tie after another one with the Redskins and Bengals tying in London 27 all? It's so awful. Like, why is there nothing else that they can possibly do? Someone at work told me today, why don't they just do a field goal kicking competition at the end of the game? I'll say they, the overtime and they, no one has won yet. Do a field goal competition. They start at 20 yards. Make it, 30, a make it, 40, kick. make it, 50. Oh, he missed it 50, and then the other team gets a shot, 20, 30, 40. Oh, he, he made 50, for, you guys win. You know what's funny? I'm for that, and I'm for uh, like a shuttle race, only if it ends with the coach at the end. Yeah. So sorry, Kansas City, Andy Reid has to anchor. Like that's just. I part. would love to watch. <laughs> if it was a shuttle race, Andy Reid versus Rex Ryan. No, no, Andy Reid versus Rob Ryan, and then who yeah, wins? Yeah, well, who wins? I think we need to have the EMTs on standby <laughs> uh, for that. But, no, look. For the Seahawks and Cardinals game, that illustrated one of my points that I don't think if you want to do this one possession, and that's fine, in regular season game, don't start the clock until we're in sudden death. 
Because by the time each team kicked the field goal, there was only like six minutes left in the game anyway. This was a weirder game. I, I understand that you had a you had a lot of choking and all that, and sometimes so ties are gonna happen. But my only thing would be don't start the game clock until we're in sudden death mode because you can just march down there, slow offense, field goal, march down, slow offense, and now there's barely any time left. But both these teams are underachieving right now. That's the other thing. Like you look at the teams that are tying. New England's not tied. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not seeing Dallas tie. Bengals um, are what three, four, and one now. Redskins are about the same. Yeah, it's it's teams that can't put the drive together. And that Seattle Arizona game, which is the war. Of if not for Derek Carr, we would have had two ties. And that's the, same the difference. Week. He just said, "I'm going to start chucking it deep and making the plays because I don't want to." Maybe that's Del Rio. I don't want to play for the tie. I want to go for it here. Because they could have just ran the ball, milked out the clock, and played for it. But. That's what the the Buccaneers in that game. That's what they wanted, but. Uh, Carr was like, nah, Seth Roberts, where are you at? Pretty much. I mean, I think that's part of uh, Del Rio getting ready for Vegas. I mean, he's just ready to put on his gambler hat and, you know, go. But, no, I mean, I, I don't like to see ties. It's boring. It's, it's awful. Uh, why, about the argument that most people will make is, why don't they do what colleges do? Which would make sense, but also, from a fantasy standpoint, if you had players and that actually made it to overtime, you're automatically going to win that week. And if that happens and you're playing that person, you're just going to be super pissed off and it's just not going to be enjoyable. But from not a fantasy standpoint, from just a fan standpoint, <laughs> that would be, it'd be fun to watch. Team gets the ball at the 30. Maybe don't give it to him at the 30. Maybe <laughs> give it to him at the 50. They start in midfield. Yeah. And they got to go. In playoffs, I really don't mind this because you're going to play till the end anyway. But yeah, you could literally play for a tie now. And it's very, very unfortunate. Or they could just do what hockey does. Just keep playing overtimes until... Somebody wins. So, yeah. Hockey is just as grueling as, as football, if not more. Yeah. So why not why not well, do the same? We could be we could be in for uh, some wholesale changes here. That's for sure. Hey, before we get to our week nine picks, I want to throw out some teams to Joe and see what we're thinking if they're falling back to earth, overrated or underrated. Every week it seems like I start this segment with the Houston Texans. I <laughs> they're five and three. They've won all their games at home. They've lost all their games on the road. I don't think there's a team that does what they're supposed to do more often than the Texans. They win when they're supposed to, and they lose when they're supposed to. I honestly, I think the Texans are an underrated team. Wow. They they have playmakers on offense. They just have a quarterback who. <laughs> Here it is, the Broncos side of you coming out. Yeah. They just have a quarterback who isn't putting it together right now. And when he was on the Broncos last season, he had moments when he was great, but he putting he, it together right now or incapable. I think he not can. Sure. I don't. I don't see him putting it together like Drew Brees can put it together. Tom Brady can put it together. He's not that kind of quarterback. He's more of an, uh, say, Alex Smith game manager type guy. But if he can make plays and just get the ball to the players that he needs to, i.e., DeAndre Hopkins, and just hand it off to Lamar Miller, it's honestly the the playbook and the play calls. If you watch the Texans games, they're in pistol formation. They're in shotgun formation. Yeah. They're doing all these things. He didn't do that when he, when he was in Denver. He was under center. Right, but why sign that guy to a $72 million contract? It's not. Or, it's, so you can't necessarily blame him. He's doing yeah. what the coaches are telling him to do. He's just not making the right plays. Like when they played the Patriots and they were down by, what were they losing, 27-3 or something? Or 27-0, yeah. they got shut out. They were just throwing five-yard outs, five-yard ins. They weren't right. taking shots. They're just not letting him do but what he wants to do. But against Denver, he looked lost. That game was just... Well, he deserved that for sure. <laughs> yeah, so. there it is. Um, no, that division, they're five and three. Eight and eight might win it. Titans are four and four. Colts are, you know... Colts are out. There's no way. But I think they can still win divisional games. I don't think they're a good team. But Colts are terrible. They're, it, I don't think any really, of these teams are good. That's the thing. They beat the Titans... In an ugly football game, that the, the Colts just found a way to win. I mean, first, first with the Titans, can we stop? Let's play all these games on Thursday night. Can we do that? Can we? No, can we? Yeah, can we stop <laughs> the Jaguars Titans mustard versus Thursday night baby game? clouds Thursday night game? Well, Blake Bortles is. We said this before. He's a king of garbage time. There's nobody better. Ever. I mean, Ryan Tannehill might be. Bortles, Bortles versus had Tannehill in garbage 22 time. Twenty-two fantasy points, and played awful last week. Terrible. <laughs> Three hundred yards. They've never won a game in Jacksonville. I saw this stat the other day when they've uh, when he's thrown for over three hundred yards. That's insane. They're, they're zero and ten in his career. Well, they also have so 
They have good players with the Jaguars. I don't understand. They got Chris Ivory. He can run. They got Yeldon. He's a decent pass catcher out of the backfield. Robinson, Hearns. Right. Why are they not putting it together? Is it all Bortles, or do you blame Gus Bradley, or is it just because it's the Jaguars and they're just doomed to lose forever? Yeah. Well, sticking with the AFC, my underrated team, I don't think the Chargers are that bad. I think they can make a lot of noise in this division. They're going to get a chance to play these teams. Rivers gets up for divisional games. I think, I mean, it's great you have all these teams with two losses now. Something's going to give. It's got it. Because they're going to start playing each other. San Diego's not just going to be the punching bag. I, I, they I, weren't. They were in the past couple weeks. They, they beat the Falcons. How in close Atlanta. could they be to being, what, 5-3? and three? Easy. Easily 5-3 and three right now. Imagine had they not blown those fourth quarter leads in those first couple of games of the season. Right. They would be in first place right now. Right, no, but I they agree did. With you. So they're in last. And I think if we're looking at the overrated side in the NFC to kind of switch to that, it's hard when you have teams with losing records saying that they're overrated. Um, and winning record, I mean, the Redskins are four, three, and one. I think they're a significant drop off in that in that division. Eagles are in that same boat, I should say. Um, but the Cardinals, what, three, four, and one. How is this team with all those aspirations? They were I mean, my... so poor, but they're probably rated properly. They were, I mean, they were my Super Bowl pick this year. Every, I mean, they were everyone's Super Bowl pick this year, let's be honest. But Carson Palmer just hasn't put it together. They have David Johnson, who has, what, 64% of their offensive. I mean, it feels like 1,000% of their offensive yeah, everything. it's all him. And it's just uh, their defense isn't putting it together. They just don't, they're just not meshing as well as they were last year. But staying in that division, my overrated team is the Seahawks in the NFC. I'm glad you brought that up because I completely agree. Now, the the one caveat with that is everybody in the NFC, except for probably Dallas and Atlanta, has huge flaws, including Minnesota, who's going to be talking about next. They're overrated, too. <laughs> but the Seahawks, somebody's got to play in the Final Four. Somebody's got to get to the divisional round of the playoffs. Seahawks have the worst line. The running game is all right. It's terrible. The receivers, it's okay. Like 3.2 yards per carry. It's, it's that's terrible. the line, I think. Okay, there's a lot of bad running teams in the NFL, but moving on, they can't. They have no time to throw a tee. Russell Wilson's running for his life. No offensive line. There's no. They don't have de- like the receivers aren't I'm not doing hating the last defense. Year. They're doing a pretty good the job. Defense considering they have to be on the field the all whole the game. Time. Yeah, offensively, their go-to play is just a dump-off pass to either Procise or Kristen Michael or Russell Wilson just running around. Their biggest play against the Saints was a. Flicker play that the receiver yeah. threw to ProSize down the field. Like Russell Wilson, if he he can't do it. But who else is going to make moves in the NFC? I, I don't know. Arizona should be able to knock this team out. They should have had him at home. And for whatever reason, they couldn't put up enough points. Could uh, this be the team that makes moves is the Lions? Are they going to put it together? No, I know. Look, I, I, we're going to talk about the Vikings. The Vikings are... Are they overrated? Yeah, they're overrated from the sense that they're not the class of the NFC or football. But they're a good defensive team. They're going to run into tough nights like this. They're still probably going to go about 11-5 and five and be right in the playoff picture hunt. Probably division win. I'd say 11-5 and five should probably get it for them. I like Stafford. I like how he's playing. Defensively, they get pushed around. One of the worst secondaries in all football. And still no running game. So at the end of the day, Stafford's going to get blamed for all their losses when in reality it's not his fault whatsoever. They, the Lions, though, they win, they win the close games. Right. Is there any quarterback in football... That looks like they're betting on the game more than Stafford betting on his team. Like, oh, it's close now. I'm going to throw, throw this pick. touchdown. No. Well, I was saying more on the positive side. Like, oh, we got to cover this. Like, let's go. I'm throwing deep. Like, yeah. Anquan Bolden, where, where are you? Right. I'm going to hit you up. Like, they're down 21 against the Packers, and he starts going crazy, you know. You could make the argument that the Lions, they don't have a running game, but Theo Riddick out of the backfield is just a totally dy- different dynamic that other teams don't have. I just don't trust that team to get first downs. On short yardage plays, when when the passing game's taken away, it's going to get colder. They're going to have to go to Minnesota. Well, I know that's indoors, but they're going to have to go to Green Bay. We'll see what happens. But now there's some overrated teams in the NFC. It's hard to find some underrated ones, but maybe the Giants, if they put it together, there's still a lot of talent there. I don't know. Talking with Joe Cruselli on the Money Mitch Effect, time to make some picks for Week 9. Six more teams on buys. It's a tough week. Again, we always uh, have a tough time here, but... It's time for our annual game of one lock, one game closer than we think, and one game that's the upset. Joe, we'll start with your lock of the week, week nine. Who's it going to be? I mean, it was real tough 
There's not that many games this week. It was real tough to pick. I was totally joking. It's got to be the Cowboys at Cleveland. I'm sorry. There's there's no way they stop Dak and Zeke and Dez. That's that. That's got a good jingle too. I'm sure we're we're gonna be hearing that a lot. Yeah. No. I uh, I think that's a good good pick. I was leaning Chiefs, but they got Nick Foles in there, and the Jaguars got to win at some point. So. Right. My lock of the week. I have to go Green Bay over Indy. I was leaning Chiefs too, but Green Bay after a loss. Rogers hearing what's wrong. We know the Colts aren't good. You think? You think Andrew Luck, that line, that defense is going into Lambeau and beating Aaron Rodgers? This matchup not to, gonna happen. This matchup to me is exact. So Andrew Luck is Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> they have both of them have the whole team on their shoulders. Nothing around them. Rodgers granted has a better offensive line. That's why Andrew Luck looks like he's getting killed when he's out for his lightning well, attack. The difference to me is. Green Bay knows. All right, we just blitz them. We get Clay Matthews. We get the, the defensive guys in the backfield. The Luck's not going to have time to take advantage of their poor secondary. This could be very ugly. The it could be. It also... at six and a half. It's up to seven and a half. That Chiefs-Jaguars line scares me at seven and a half with Foles in there, but it is the Jaguars. So. It is also Foles, too. But He's as... not going to let him do much of anything. It's going to be a 10-minute offense. As far as the Indy-Green Bay game, though, like you said, it could be close. It also could be a shootout. They both have terrible defenses. I'm not, yeah, but I, I, can't, I can't put any vote of confidence in on the Colts. All right, so right now you're closer than the experts think game. Closer than the experts think, I'm going to go Buffalo-Seattle on Monday night. Everyone's counting Buffalo mm. out because it's Seattle. That's tasty. No, I like that. Think pick. about last year on Monday night when the Lions went to Seattle. And they should have won because the ball was punched out of the back of the end zone, but they lost. <laughs> Buffalo, yeah. Buffalo is a better team than people give them credit for. I think they're just as defensive-minded as the Seahawks are. Granted, their defense isn't as good. But Tyrod Taylor is slowly having a great season and under the radar. But the Bills, they're, they're in the thick of things just like everybody else. So, honestly, if I had to pick them, I would pick the Bills, but it's going to be a closer game than people think. I like that pick. I think it all comes down. Well, the biggest problem with that, though, is... Bill's passing game is atrocious. So they're going to have to be so successful on the ground and probably get some turnovers out of that Bill's defense. So, But Tim Hightower did just run all over the Seahawks. Tim Hightower. Right. No. So no, Shady, no. He's on the league like five years ago. I don't know what he was doing. Whether it's Shady or Gillisley, they, they got it. I'm going to go Titans-Chargers. I oh, like that game. Chargers, I know I pumped them up a little bit, but the Titans are, have a better record. They're five-point underdogs. It's in San Diego. That's not a home field advantage. Spoiler alert. It's yeah. going to be... If there's any Titans fans out there, and there might not be, but if there are, good seats available in San Diego, and you can easily turn <laughs> that. You can easily turn that into an advantage. Cheap for your Titans and Mariota looks good. This team could be going places. Demarco Murray could win the could win that terrible South. Could you imagine if the Titans came out of the South, what that would look mm, like? Mm, mm, mm. All right, upset pick. Who you got? My upset pick. I got I got two upset picks for you. you. Just go one. You got to save some for me. You go one. All right, I'll go one. All right. I got Detroit over Minnesota in Minnesota. Oof. Okay. I'm not picking that. I maybe you're on the kick them while they're down train. But look, Detroit did just lose, so let's not to the Texans. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. Which the, I said before. Yeah, are an underrated okay, team. Property. All right. So you think they go in there, and what do you think the score of that game is going to be? Just curious. it's going to be a close one. It's probably low like, scoring or high scoring. It's like seventeen thirteen, maybe. I just see. I mean, Matt Stafford, like we said before, he makes plays when it matters, and Minnesota's offense is terrible. They have no running game. The Lions. I feel like they'll be able to put it together. They're going to know how to shut down. Bradford of all people who just look at the Eagles tape. That's so, it. So here's my here's my caveat on that though. What the Bears were able to do in beating the Vikings were and again the game was in Chicago, but the big thing there was Howard on the ground. Who on Detroit's gonna do that on the ground? I know Reddick can catch passes. I don't know. I don't know if they have enough if they're gonna get enough to keep them honest. Because Minnesota's probably probably in their meetings right now defensively, like Stafford's going to throw it 50 times. He's like, we need to double cover Marvin Jones here, right and, now. And here we do. So I agree with you. They win this game if they keep it low scoring, 17-13. But I, I, you I think, can't go down early. You go down 7-10 points, Minnesota puts the clamps on. If Minnesota goes up early, it's, it could be 10-3. It, it, it could just be a field yeah. goal game. Who knows? But yeah. I, I just think that 
Riddick is just that type of player that is so under the radar, no one really cares about him or knows anything about him, and he just crushes he's it. just going to crush. So my upset pick, you ready for this one? Give me the Jets over the Dolphins. Oh. In Miami. Miami is a favorite in this game. Everyone's riding high, JGI, just setting records. Jets, let's be honest, Jets held uh, the Ravens <laughs> to six yards rushing, so. Yeah, no, I like that. That's the run defense side of it. They're going to make Ryan Tannehill beat them. Man, it's a sad day for Revis and company in that secondary if Ryan Tannehill beats you. And that's what I think is going to have to happen. They lose this game if they get thrown on like they've been getting thrown on. And I like the Jets to go into South Beach, where there's probably also good seats available, <laughs> yeah. and win this game. I think that's going to be a big one. A couple other games before I let you go that we didn't get a chance to talk to talk about that are bigger on the schedule coming up. Eagles-Giants, this could be like an elimination game for playoff contenders. Giants are a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Do you give them the edge in this one, or do you like the Eagles? That's a tough That's a tough game. Eli Manning, he's, he's 50-50, whether you get Eli Manning or whether you get Derby Eli Manning. So I got to give it to Big Blue, though. I mean, I just don't. The Eagles are on the downslope. Granted, they went to overtime against a great Cowboys team in Dallas. But we could see the same thing again. Yeah. It will not be Miracle in Meadowlands number three, though. <laughs> no, you're running out of, out of uh, you know, names for that. The storyline <laughs> is just getting redundant at this point. I like the Giants. I think it should be a close game. The Eagles defense is going to make life tough. But who's guarding Beckham and who's keeping it honest? I think Eli's starting to figure out that if I spread it around early, if I keep them just enough honest, if I get Cruz involved, if I get Shepard involved, then Beckham can take over in the second half of these games. What, what we saw early, what, early in the season was they just tried to throw to Beckham every play in the first quarter, and eventually the, the offense was out of whack, and you know following football that guys start running their routes a little less hard when they know the ball's not coming anywhere near them. That's what doesn't make sense because they have other playmakers. They have rookie Shepard, who the first three games of the season, everyone was like, rookie of the year. And Next Cruz is back. back. Cruz, Cruz is back is to being normal. Well. Yeah. But... Eagles don't have great cover corners. That's why they played out of their minds against the Cowboys, but they still gave up big plays and they still lost. Right? Can picks. they do the same? Eli, I mean, it's the old narrative. Eli throws some picks, <laughs> all bets are off. But I like the Giants in this one. Me too. Wentz is is you know dealing with uh, he doesn't he doesn't have the most help. I'll just put it that he way. He has no running game. <laughs> Darren Sproles is your number one running back. Ryan Matthews fumbles yeah. at every play. I like the Giants in a close one here. What do you say, though, about Pittsburgh-Baltimore? You don't know Big Ben looks like he's going to be out there, huh? Two-point favorites on the road. Baltimore's lost four straight, but this is the, the black and blue football rivalry of this uh, century. Baltimore-Pittsburgh is always a game that... It's a car crash. It, 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 yeah, it excites everyone to watch. Granted, Pittsburgh, they had Landry Jones the last couple games and weren't able to win. But I still, I like Baltimore more than I like Pittsburgh. Everyone's high on the Pittsburgh train for this season, but their defense is terrible. The, any, they can't cover anybody. They can't stop anybody. When you lose to the Dolphins right. like that, I just don't have faith in you. They lose the bad teams, though. It is on the road. I don't know if Baltimore's a bad team. They're going to be up for the divisional game. If Ben plays, I like Pittsburgh. Baltimore's been kind of stuck in neutral, offensively at least since uh, their 3-0 start against some really awful competition as well. But they did make that move. They, they did the, uh, the old trick of firing the offensive coordinator midseason, so maybe that'll wake them up. These games, though, I tend to go the opposite of what Logic tells me. Logic <laughs> says Big Ben is back, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, that whole offense. They're going to dominate, but I, I just don't, I just don't no. see it happening. Because Ravens the Ravens are, just, are a very yeah. underrated defense. Their defense has played really well this year. Four straight, man. That's tough. I mean, they've been... They have to win at some point. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're right. I'd love to see the Steelers lose again. And finally, could be the game of the week. Might be the game of the week. Denver-Oakland. How ready is this young Oakland team? They host the Broncos on Sunday Night Football. Primetime game for Oakland. Let's let's start there. They haven't had many games on a national stage like that this. That you want to actually watch. That anyone wants to actually watch. And we're not talking about, you know, Thursday Night Football or, you know, that second Monday That doesn't night count. Game. <laughs> like, Thursday Night Football does not count. It started out as a pick Joe. The lines moved to Oakland one-point favorites, but I have a feeling it's going to be moving both directions. It'll be even, time. yeah. It'll be even. Do you like your Broncos here, or do you think they could be in for some trouble against the Raiders team at home? What scares me about the Raiders is, like the Chargers, they always play the Broncos really well. 
last year. This when, game in Oakland. We remember what happened last year. Khalil Mack happened last yeah. year. That was, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say is they came into Denver, sacked Brock. Yeah. But, it, again, it was Brock. Yeah. Sacked him five times in one half. One player sacked him five times in one half. Khalil Mack. Oakland's defense, like we said, is not good. And Devontae Booker, running back, rookie, it's going to be primetime, first big primetime game for him starting. We're going to see how he does. Uh, I see them doing what, they, what they've what they done all season. Run it down their throats. Simeon makes passes, makes plays when he needs to. And I have to pick the Broncos, obviously, my team. They're going to come out on top. But we, we, could, see, we could see Derek Carr make... Another notch in his belt for MVP if they do come out of this game, the Raiders. I'm going with the Broncos here. I think experience with Trump in this situation. Denver's already had their rough patch, I think, in the season. Here we go, Oakland. Lights are on. Let's see what you got. It's yeah, your exactly. moment. You know, this is it. You're not sneaking up on anybody anymore. But Simeon, you know, I, he needs to make some throws. The Cincinnati game was a great example of that. Bengals pushed back. Love to and, see he went, that. and he went downfield. That's the only way they're winning this game on that defense with the good blitzing and the run defense that Oakland has. Awful secondary. He made some of those. Go deep. He made some of those throws in the last game. He yeah. had those two bombs to Emmanuel Sanders. We just the Broncos fans just don't get to see that a lot because Kubiak doesn't trust him. But he was announced captain today as yeah, for the rest go. of the season. So maybe there's some more trust in him. Maybe they're gonna let him do some kind of things that he's comfortable and, with. Yeah, and I know Kubiak's a conservative coach. But you need to be aggressive against this Oakland team. You'll lose. You know, you'll lose twenty. To they 10. put up points. You got to put up points. But the thing is, are they gonna be able to put up points? Hello, Von Miller. Hello, Demarcus Ware. Think for the Broncos defense. Everyone's get helping. Get that lead. Get that lead. Everyone and is helping. What? They have Von Miller, Demarcus Ware, Ward, Roby, Talib might be back. Chris Wolf. Harris Jr., who I think is the best corner in the league. Obviously. And He's up Wolf, there. Wolf is a very underrated player. He gets at the quarterback. Look, get them that lead. Shut them down. Different different game if Denver's up 10. Any point in the game. If they get that 10-point lead, blood in the water. The thing with the Raiders, though, they don't live through the run like the Broncos no, do. They, they abandon just, it. They abandon they just, it. They're too. just like, oh, Latavius Murray, you get six carries, right. to 10 yards. We're, well, we're, we're going to be in for a treat this Sunday. Raider Nation hosting the Denver Broncos. Go Broncos. First place. You know, with the Chiefs hanging in there as well, this is uh, going to go down to the wire. A first place game. In the AFC West. Well, Joe Crisali, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. This is fun. Yeah. Had a blast. Happy to be here. We'll have to have you on in the future. Absolutely. Big thanks to Joe Crisali for coming on. He's a uh, natural on his first time debut on the podcast. Definitely plan to have him be a reoccurring guest. Again, thanks to Brian Nelson and Brett Danzer for coming on to talk baseball. Thanks again to Brian Nelson for making the logos for the podcast, the Money Mitch Effect logos, and Tim Adams, as always, supplying the beats to here to make the podcast sound much more easy on the ears with some nice, smooth beats. The Money Mitch Effect, as always, can be found on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes by just searching Money Mitch Effect. And also follow my Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for all the podcast posted there, as well as other sports takes. Not exactly hot takes. I'm not trying to get a debate show, so don't worry about that. Next week's going to be a big week. Three shows. I'm planning it right now. Three shows, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. we got to get into hockey. we got to get into the NBA, maybe some UFC as well, and the normal football takes as well. Thank you again for listening to The Money Mitch Effect. We're into November. I hope everyone out there listening has a good weekend. Enjoy all the sports. God bless.